Episode 8, The Help Soundtrack. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Gowker, along with the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin. Today, the movie Help and the soundtrack that goes along with it, called Help. It's August 6, 1965. Beatlemania is still alive and well, as fans get to sit down and watch the Beatles again, this time in color. Before we get into the episode, we have some housekeeping notes for you. I have a podcast called Something Came From Baltimore, which is a music interview podcast. It's more jazz, R&B, and blues, and it's not really about Baltimore, but we want you to subscribe and be a part of that Be More music scene. That link is in the show notes. And then, the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin, is all-knowing when it comes to the Beatles. He sweats Beatle DNA for real. Follow him on his Facebook page, Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Halpin. That link is also in the show notes. And then, for this limited run podcast series, we have our own Facebook page, and it is called The Beatles Come to America. That link is also down below. We're asking you to rank your favorite albums of the U.S. time period from best to worst. As a bonus, at the end of every episode, the Beatles come to America, we have a Brooke Halpin original song. So you'll want to stay for that. Just remember that we are a DIY lo-fi production. Now, let's get into the interview. The Beatles come to America, it's episode eight. It's the Beatles Help soundtrack. I am so happy that we are doing help because... I love help. <laughs> the movie or the soundtrack? <laughs> Both. Okay. Absolutely. Now, I am a big fan of the songs that have words to them. Um, no kidding. <laughs> uh, what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just checked the box office on this. It was $1.5 million, uh on their budget. It made $12 million, which I assume it's a success. And then this is the beginning of their film deal, right? They had to do three more. Right. And um, while we're talking about the, the pieces of help, uh, Ken Thorne is the film orchestra. Um, no, he's, no, no, it's not an orchestra. He's the composer. Okay, so... The instrumentals that we're hearing, it says George Morton Orchestra. Uh, where's the relationship between Ken Thorne and George Martin? Are these George Martin uh, compositions, or are they... No, no, no. Ken Thorne is a composer. He composed the the soundtrack music to the film. Okay, are they they readapted onto the Help album? Because uh, well, they're all giving no, credit he, for George Martin no. Orchestra. I mean, we're, we're off the record here, aren't we? We're not just not. Oh, I'm recording. This is all documented. Oh, my God. <laughs> is it really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Ken Thorne is a composer. So the soundtrack music, orchestral arrangements, are compositions by Mr. Thorne, with the exception of now, there's a couple that he did where he took the melodies 
by Lennon and McCartney, for instance, is something called the From Me to You Fantasy. So he took the From Me to You song, the melody, right, through John and Paul, and he arranged it and changed it and added things to it. And, and he also did the same thing with another instrumental called Another Hard Day's Night. And then he incorporated You Can't Do That into one of the instrumental pieces as well. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But one of the things that I find particularly interesting is that it's produced by George Martin, but it is also produced by Dave Dexter Jr. Now, why did George Martin need a second producer? Well, it says for the U.S., something to do with the U.S., that Dexter had a, he had a relationship with capital. And this is where it gets even more confusing because the soundtrack album to A Hard Day's Night was released on United Artists. And then as we talked about, then Capital wanted to capitalize on, then released their version of A Hard Day's Night. Now, the Help album is released on Capitol Records. It's not released on the United Artists label. So something is very, uh, very confusing here. Now, Dexter, as, as I assumed, he worked for Capitol, right? So he, he had something to do with overseeing the American releases of the Beatles albums from 63 to 66. So because of that, I'm, I'm not very impressed with them because we talked about. So, yeah, he has been uh, criticized, referring to Dexter's treatment of the recordings. Uh, some people call it genuine stupidity. But he produced, you know, the, most of the Beatles albums that came out later in the box X, you know, in the, in the CDs and the compilations, things like that. So that, there you go. Because he was working with Capitol, and because this was being released on Capitol instead of on United Artists, like Hard Day's Night was, that's where Dave Dexter comes in. Yeah, help. Here we are, Tom. We're, we're up to help. We're up to help. It's very quickly. This was number one for nine weeks, which is crazy. It sold in its first year uh, uh, 1,314,000 copies. Yeah, okay. the uh, running time on this is 28 minutes and 43 seconds. Has uh, seven Beatles songs. The rest are instrumentals. And we're going right up to the first one, which is Help. I forgot about the James Bond theme that's at the beginning of it. I remember mm -hmm. as a child, that's how it started. They would play that before the song hit, so we knew ahead of time that help was coming up. Uh, this was number one for three weeks, and John said in an interview with Rolling Stone in 1980 that um, the Beatles thing was, was just beyond comprehension. I was subconsciously crying out for help. I think yep. uh, everyone can agree with that. It's, it's voted number 29 in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The, Not bad. Yeah, how about that? Uh, the B-side is I'm Down. I'm giving you some facts and figures, but I'd say that this is uh, a premier Beatles song. It has that Beatle big beat energy, and it's very complex, and the harmonies the harmonies on this album like kind of sell each song, and it's, it's great. If you don't mind, I'd like to start with the album cover before we get into the individual tracks. Is that okay with you? Sure, go ahead. Okay. As I'd mentioned, this is on Capitol, even though the movie the movie was released 
Artists from United Artists, unlike A Hard Day's Night, this album is on Capitol. It would have been different if it was released on United Artists, that's for sure. And it's also different because it's just not George Martin who was producing this record. I wish it was just George Martin. I assure you, if it was just George Martin, the tracks, the Beatles songs, would have sounded different. We look at the cover. Uh, it says that they got the new, improved, full-dimensional stereo. All right, obviously, you know, Capitol is pushing the sound as a new sound. And then we have the four Beatles standing on the letters help. Now, this is very interesting. Four letters and there's four Beatles. George Harrison is standing above the H. Okay, that makes sense. He's standing above the H for, not only for help, but for Harrison. We have, we're going to skip over for the second. Then we go to the L, and Mr. Lennon is standing above the L. Oh, perfect match. And, and who, of course, is above the P, none other than Paul. Now, that's very interesting, very creative. Ringo, of course, if it was Holt or if it were something else, it may have worked. So he's above the E. So some friends of mine and I, we joke around when we look at this and we call Ringo Ringy on the help album <laughs> we, to, to make a justification for him standing above the E. So the H, the L, and the P are perfect for Harrison, Lennon, and Paul, and Ringo gets the E. All right. Now, the back cover is very interesting. It lists not only the Beatles, but also the other actors in the film. Lydia McKern, Eleanor Braun, Victor Spinetti, who was in A Hard Day's Night as a TV director, as you may recall, and Ray Kinnear. They were fantastic in this film. Leo McKern, absolutely brilliant. He should have won an Academy Award for his acting in Help. I have seen Help, I've seen Hard Day's Night, I don't know, maybe 50 to, I don't know, 100 times. I've seen Help for 100 to 200 times. There's something about the film which I just absolutely love. And of course, as Ringo said when I interviewed him, what his favorite movie was, it was A Hard Day's Night. But he was excited about Help because the director, Richard Lester, realized that after Ringo did that solo scene when he left the Beatles and went off walking about and got into trouble, Lester realized that Ringo had some good acting potential. So that's why Ringo was the centerpiece for the movie Help. Of course, also, he wears rings for Ringo, and it's all based upon these Indians to get the ring from Ringo before they can have a sacrifice at their temple. It's hilarious. It's hysterical. The Indians, especially, again, Leo McKern, is just brilliant. The pacing, however, should be better. The pacing of A Hard Day's Night is, is a masterpiece. Everything moves quickly. So the pacing, the editing, eh, they should have done more editing on the movie help. It just doesn't move as quickly enough. But back to the back cover. So on the back cover, in big green letters, all caps, says Eastman Color. So they were excited because obviously Hard Day's Night was black and white. So now we're going to see the Beatles in color, which was exciting to see the Beatles on the big screen and see them in color. But it's also interesting that Eastman comes up. Now, people think that Linda Eastman 
is from the Eastman Kodak family. No, just wanted to clarify that. There's no connection. So I just thought that would be worth mentioning. So now we go and we open up the album cover. And this is the first time that a Beatle album has an album where you can actually open it up. First time with a centerfold, they call it. And inside, when you open it up, are just fantastic photographs. I mean, they're, they're incredible. They're beautiful. They're exciting. They're great photographs. And of course, they're describing what's going on in the film and, and, some, and some text, which is very nice. But the, this is, again, this is a first. And I got to give cred, uh, Capital for doing that, for letting us see some of the photos from the film as you open up the album. I need somebody, Help. not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, no one, including Paul McCartney, believed that John was crying out for help. No one. How could someone, the king of, of the, in the biggest band in the world, be crying for help when in fact he was? He's actually saying, I'm not so self-assured. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. My independence has vanished in the haze. I'm feeling insecure. Good God. How could that possibly be? But according to John, that's what he was doing. And Cynthia Lennon says the same thing. No one in 1965 made that connection. It was help because Ringo needed help. He needed help from the Indians. That's the connection. So even though John is saying all these things, nobody got it. The opening, as you say, is this instrumental, again, Ken Thorne. I love what Ken Thorne did. I think he did a brilliant job. And in the intro, yes, it's got that low guitar riff. But then he also throws in uh, a descending sitar line, which is foreshadowing and telling us in a very short amount of time that there's going to be some Indian instruments in the soundtrack and in the movie. Brilliant that he did that. And I don't know how many people make that connection. I know you don't care for, for the instrumentals, but I am a composer myself, and I've composed soundtracks to movies. And even years before I did, even when I heard this, way back when it came out, I absolutely loved what Ken Thorne did. So we have the introduction, and John was wanting to do a slower ballad, like a piano-driven ballad on Help. But because it was the title song to the movie, he knew that it had to be musically upbeat like it is. Now, a lot of people don't know that. But the lyrics don't really match the music, in my opinion, because they're so down. You know, it's like, 
Help me if you can, I'm feeling down, and I really do appreciate, oh, hey, yeah, let's have a good time, you know, (laughs) it should be like, help me if you can, I'm feeling down, you know, really matching the lyrics, but that didn't happen, and the other thing that's interesting is that he says, I'm feeling down, I'm down, and of course, Mr. Paul McCartney writes, I'm down, the flip side to the single, Help. So anyhow, there we go. I love Help. It's a masterpiece, even though I said what I said. The next song that we have is The Night Before. It's a Paul song. There's a weird guitar solo. It's towards the song, in the song and towards the end. So you're going to help me no. with that. It was recorded on February 17, 1965. Uh, Mr. McCartney's musical prowess was a flame. He was completely turned on in 65, playing lead guitar throughout most of this album. Most of the songs on this album, Paul plays lead guitar. There's only one that he doesn't play lead guitar on, as a matter of fact. Well, two, excuse me. It's Paul and George playing lead guitar together in octaves. So, I believe it's Paul who's playing the high lead and George is playing the same notes, but an octave lower. And that in and of itself is a very, very unique sound. And I don't know of anyone who was doing that at the time. And McCartney's lead guitar playing is absolutely brilliant. I mean, this is the bass player of the band. How many bass players (laughs) put their bass down and play a lead guitar solo like that? It's unbelievable. He's a monster musician, McCartney. Absolutely. And what's interesting, too, is that Paul's lyrics now are getting edgier, right? You know, here's Mr. Romantic, you know, and I love her and, you know, all these love songs that Paul would write, I'll Follow the Sun and all the love songs that he did in 64. Now he's saying, now, wait a minute. Were you telling lies to me? You know, treat me like you did, you know, last night, the night before. So, lyrically, he is evolving. And he's evolving as John is also evolving as a lyricist. So, they're both evolving as lyricists and musicians at the same time, which is another example of how brilliant and how unique that writing team was of Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, the next song, I have no comments for. It's uh, an instrumental from the movie. It's From Me to You Fantasy. It is by the George Martin Orchestra. (laughs) 
movie since you've seen it so many times. Yeah, this is a great scene. You've got Ringo sleeping, and you've got Eleanor Braun, the actress, who is hiding behind a curtain with an apparatus, <laughs> trying to get the to catch the ring and pull it off Ringo's finger while he's sleeping. It's hysterical, and the music again is is great because. What Ken Thorne did in this particular music cue, as they call them, is that he's using a combination of Western and Eastern instruments. You know, it's East meets West in terms of instruments. You've got the traditional Western instruments in the orchestra. And then you have also the droning tambour Indian instrument and the sitar, which given what's going on in the movie where you have Indians and the very British Beatles, they're combining, you know, he's paralleling what's going on usually with what's going on on the screen. And it's, I just love this music cue. As a matter of fact, sometimes I play this music cue on my show. That's how much I love it. Uh, just for the record, just so I get it on uh, audio, the reason I'm mopey on this album is as a consumer, you know, I was a little kid when I was buying these records and I would figure out which one I could afford and, and which one, you know, I would uh, love more because I was a child of the 70s. So uh, I was starting to purchase them around 74 and I worked my way till I got them all. When I got a Hard Day's Night album, I was just disappointed the fact that there wasn't all Beatles songs. I just felt I was getting chipped. And then when I saw the British album, where it's a fantastic full album, then we know as Americans we were we were chipped. I didn't know that as a child. The same with the Help album. The Help album, the British version that we're used to now on CD, is a great album as is. And uh, this is just seven of the songs, some of them in order of of what the, the British version is or what we're used to, it just is pale. And I just remember being disappointed, having to skip through all the instrumentals and feeling I kind of got gypped. But I just want to put that for the record because I'm going to be mopey through this whole thing. I do love all the Beatles songs, and You Got to Hide Your Love Away is a you know Dylan period, very Dylan-esque. There's a, a flute in there by John Scott, who uh, they put the flute in uh, so it wouldn't be so much like Dylan. Instead of the harmonica, they put the flute in there. Um, and they were debating about, are they keeping his marriage a secret? Is that one of the reasons for this song? Or is it Brian Epstein's uh, homosexuality that is being kept a secret? Um, in my opinion, this should have been a single. Um, I know that the Beach Boys did a version of it and actually hit a top 40 on it. Party Life, the Beach Boys Party Life in 1965. Um, the Silky, the band uh, yeah. that Brian Epstein signed and yeah. uh, uh, released this song as a single and it hit number 10. Yeah, 
Whiskey was a big hit. Yeah. Um, that Beach Boy uh, Dance Party album is terrible. <laughs> it's just yes. terrible. Unlistenable yeah. and unacce- unacceptable for the quality of the Beach Boys. It's a, a solo John masterpiece. And yes, at the end of the song, you know, typically the instrumentals happen where? In the middle of a song. There's a middle guitar solo. There's a middle piano solo. The solo's at the end of the song. That in and of itself, unusual, innovative, very creative. And as you had said, this is completely John being entirely influenced by Dylan, who he loved at that time. So instead of doing what would be expected to have a harmonica solo, which, of course, John was very adept at playing the harmonica. So you would have anticipated that. So there's the surprise. The Beatles always have surprises for us. So it is, yeah, John Scott, he's playing, he plays the tenor, and he also plays the alto flute. So again, you're doing octaves, similar to George and Paul playing the same lick, the same riff in octaves. John Scott plays the same riff with his overdubbing uh, the tenor flute and then doing the alto flute together. A new sound. This is a new sound for the Beatles. Absolutely. Ringo's contribution is playing the tambourine and the maracas. Uh, George is playing uh, rhythm guitar. And Paul's playing bass. But here's what I think this song is all about. Everybody, well, not everybody. Yes, I take that back. Most people, by 1965... They knew that John was married to Cynthia because Cynthia used to travel with him. She'd go out with him to events in London. She would travel with him to the United States. Everybody in 1965 knew that John was married. So it's not about him having to hide his love from Cynthia. However, most people, the vast majority of people, did not know that Brian was a homosexual. And in the 60s, especially in England, it was unacceptable. It was frowned upon. You just, you didn't engage in that type of activity. So John, of course, knew that Brian was homosexual. So he was saying to Brian, hey, you know, you have to hide your love away. That's what I think. And I'm, I'm quite sure of that. I'm quite sure of that interpretation. Uh, our next song is the fifth song on the album, and it's a George Harrison composition called I Need You. It's the second one that he wrote so far. Uh, Don't Bother Me was the first one that was that he wrote. And this is a, a love song for Patty Boyd, who he married in 1966, and he met her on the set of A Hard Day's Night. Um, it was recorded in February 1965. It's the first use of the guitar volume pedal. And I guess yeah. that's the wah, 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 wah. Yeah, uh, yeah. On this album, on the British version, is uh, You Like Me Too Much and I Like You. Um, this is miles apart in, in quality. I love the song. And it's weird because there is a lot of feedback uh, that a lot of people don't. I think it's uh, past the test of time. Uh, one critic wrote that it was the worst song the Beatles have done so far. They felt it was oh, juvenile. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. come on. 
and, and then Rolling Stone said this is uh, an apex of George Harrison's career where he yeah. hit the mark. He hit the mark, and um, this is a uh, he. It's a fantastic song, and I I follow that path. I've never thought less that, than than stellar on this song. I think it's a great song. Please remember how I feel about you. I could never really live without you. So come on back and see just what you mean to me. I need you. But when you told me you don't want my loving anymore, that's when it hurt me. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. And we're entitled to disagree with them. <laughs> so, yeah, he also, as you said, he wrote, Don't Bother Me. He also wrote, as you said, You Like Me Too Much, and Now We Got I Need You. Now, this is very interesting, the instrumentation on this. John doesn't play any guitar on this song. It's George playing all the guitars, overdubbing. But, according to George Martin, John plays the snare drum on this song. Now, what in the hell is John playing the snare drum? I have no idea. But, if George Martin says it's John playing the snare drum, then John is playing the snare drum. However, it's very low in the mix. You can barely hear the snare drum. Ringo is playing percussion. And then he plays the cowbell on the bridge. And, of course, Mr. McCartney on the bass. It's a beautiful song. It's an honest song from George, telling Patty how much he loves her. I always love it. And as you had said earlier, because I have seen the movie so many times, beginning when it first came out in August 1965 in a movie theater, every time I hear any of these songs, it is impossible for me to hear these songs without the visual scenes that occurred in the movie. Impossible. So here they are. They're out on the Salisbury Plain, you know, way out in western England on a cold, cloudy day. And as you may have noticed in the film, they're freezing. It's cold out there. You know, they're bundled up. You can see Ringo shivering while he's playing the drums. But it's a great shot. That's where they did the scene for I Need You in that Salisbury Plain scene, along with The Night Before. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love I Need You. Thank you, George. The next song is the in, in the the troll. In the troll. In the troll. Yeah. Right, okay. Go take it away. <laughs> okay. I know this is your favorite track on the album. You just won't admit it. Oh my God! It's unlistenable. <laughs> unlistenable. <laughs> oh my God! You're so bad. What's really interesting about this is that it begins with like a Salvation Army brass band. And it also ends with the Salvation Army brass band playing. Well, what happened two years later? 
two years later, George Martin is using brass band inserts on Pepper on the opening track. And you see the Beatles in the movie later in the film where they're dressed up in the Salvation Army get-ups playing brass instruments. You know, so there's an interesting connection between the music that Thorne wrote for the scene and knowing what would be coming up two years later in terms of using brass bands in Beatles songs. Very interesting. For I have got another girl Another girl Make me say that I've got nobody but you But as from today well I've got somebody that's new Alright. We're flipping this over uh, to another girl. And yeah. uh, that's also uh, like she's a woman hammer with a guitar. Um, it's written by Paul. It's uh, to me, it's a blues song. He wrote this song in, in Tunisia, believe it or not. It was recorded on February fifteenth, and uh, the guitar piece uh, solo is is George at the end. Uh, you're right. Paul plays lead and bass through this. Um. They, the first time it was ever played live, which is a bit of trivia, is April 28th, 2015, where Paul played it live in concert at, in Tokyo. Uh, this is just another song from this time period that is fantastic. The harmony is awesome. The music, it's, it's so catchy. Um, all these songs on this album that have lyrics are so catchy and so, like, uh, awesome, and again, this is um, another piece of the movie that you 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 fall in love with. What's your what's your thought on this song? Yeah, it's interesting that Paul would write these lyrics because I think these lyrics sound more like John lyrics. I really do. So again, going back to when he was saying in the night before, were you telling lies? But now he's saying, oh, by the way, I've got another girl. You know, the way, if you don't treat me the right way, you know, I'm going to have another girl anyway. So it's really arrogant lyrics for Paul, which is unusual. But again, he's evolving. He's obviously being influenced. It's Paul, once again, on this album. He plays lead guitar throughout this song. George is only playing a rhythm acoustic guitar. And Sean plays a rhythm electric guitar. So, I mean, who can, the, the lead guitar solos on these songs, on The Night Before, on Another Girl, are just outstanding. He is so damn good as a lead guitarist. So we have to give, give Paul that, that credit. And, of course, in the movie, it's hysterical because they're on the rocks. You know, they're out there in Nassau, on the Bahamas somewhere. And... They keep changing, you know, Paul's playing bass, and then all of a sudden he's playing the lead guitar, George is playing the bass, and then all of a sudden John is on the drums, and then Ringo's playing the bass, and then all of a sudden Paul is strumming a girl, is an actual girl <laughs> that he's playing with. Because <laughs> he has another girl. So things keep changing. Yeah, Richard Lester did a brilliant job. 
of directing this film. And this is a music video, right? This is a music video in 1965. Absolutely, hands down, this, this one in particular is a music video. I love what they did in the movie. And it's a great rock and roll song. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mr. Lester. Uh, number two is Another Hard Day's Night. And I wrote in my comments, I don't hate this one, but go ahead. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Well, don't, like, tell me about it. Well, why don't you hate it? Well, I don't hate it. I mean, I, I'm not... At, I like Indian music. I mean, I, I've... Uh, if it wasn't for the Beatles, I, I wouldn't be as open to it and, you know, experiment. And um, this is a great version of a hit that I'm real familiar with. So it's fun to hear this version the way it was done. I actually, I respect it. I just don't want it on this album. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, Tom. We can't take it off. It's too late. and not see what's going on there. They go to this Indian restaurant. They sneak into this Indian restaurant. And, of course, Leo McKern is in the restaurant, working like he's supposedly working there. And he has a, a bus saw, and he has a knife or something. He's going to chop Wingo's finger off, whatever it might be. Getting back to this particular music cue is that there's... Typically back then, and in some Indian restaurants, you would have at least someone playing the sitar. You know, back in the 80s when I lived in New York City, down on the Lower East Side, on East Sixth Street, where they had back-to-back, every shop was an Indian restaurant. And there were rumors that there was this one huge kitchen at the bottom that it was connected to all the restaurants. But when you went into the restaurants, there would be a sitarist. And he would be playing Indian riders. So you just go into an Indian restaurant in London, and here's some Indian musicians playing, and then all of a sudden they change quickly because it's the, it's, it's the gang of Indians that are trying to get the ring off Ringo. And it's all Indian instruments, and to do that arrangement, it's not easy to take... Uh, notes and a melody and a bridge and apply them to Indian instruments because most Indian music is based upon a drone, one pitch on the droning tambura. And he was able to keep the tambura going and yet make the harmonic changes chord-wise and put the moving melody onto different instruments. So I'm I'm very pleased that you that you like that. Uh, we'll have to tell Mr. Thorne that he's, that he's getting a thumbs up from Tom. That's that's good. Uh, it's a ticket to ride, and um, this was recorded February 15, 1965. 
It was released as a single and right after eight days a week. So this is another number one. Uh, it is uh, the B side is yes, it is. And uh, John said he did all this uh, himself, but Paul said it was 60 40, like he was involved in it. They were taking the Indian influence of that raga, the, the drone sound into this song. It's like John had said, this is the first heavy metal record that was ever a single or heavy metal ever. And so it's, if you look at it that way, it's, it was, again, it's really um, progressive for its time. Very progressive. And uh, Ticket to Ride, you know, it sounds like a, a story about a woman who's bored with her uh, boyfriend. She just wants to get out or they want to get out of the, the family state that they live in, you know, just being bored. And uh, John's saying, no, the hamburger, pro uh, when they were in Hamburger, Germany, the prostitutes would carry cards around that indicated that they had a clean bill of health. So uh, it's slang. Ride means a slang for sex. So they had a ticket to ride. Um, if that's the case, that blew me completely away. Uh, you know, if that, some of the interpretations now is that um, she left her, her boyfriend to be a prostitute. Um, this was in the skiing sequence, which was pretty awesome in the movie. And they used uh, or were influenced by the Kinks. Uh, See my friend as a inspiration. See my friend. Rolling Stone, they voted it 394 out of 500 of the best songs of all time. Oh, that's not right. It's great. It's a great song. This much rich get a much higher rating than that. Well, first of all, John, God bless you, but please, this is not heavy metal, John. <laughs> this is not heavy metal. I mean, if you want to talk heavy metal, then, you know, listen to Helter Skelter. That's heavy metal. This is just a progressive rock song for 1965, recorded with lots of guitar overdubs, mind you. There's a lot of guitars on this track. You've got the low, like you said, sort of the droning, and that's matching, by the way, the bass line during the, the verses, for the most part. And George plays the introduction, Right, and it's a wonderful, wonderful, unusual drum pattern, never heard of before. And according to Mr. McCartney, it was his idea. He asked Ringo to play that drum pattern, which of course he did. But guess who's playing the, the guitar? Lee guitar fills. It's Paul again on Lee guitar. Incredible. Nobody knew in 1965 that McCartney was doing all that lead guitar playing. No one. Everybody figured it was George, because George was the lead guitar player. So there you have it. I love it. It's certainly one of the best songs recorded and released in 1965, and it's forever associated with the snow scene when they're all around the grand piano in the snow. Another music video way back in 1965. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. But she don't care. 
number four on this that's the fourth song is the bitter end uh you can't do that another instrumental um my comment is unlistenable go ahead what do you think about the song Tom, have you ever been to, just out of curiosity, have you ever been to, like, the Baltimore Symphony, or have you ever listened to symphonic music at all or not? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, my, oh. my, t- my tastes are varied. It, it's, uh, this, is, this is a Beatles album, and oh, I, see. I so am a Beatles, on the Beatles, album. Beatles yeah. fan. I don't want them yeah. on here. I, I, I'm not, it, it, you know, this was, I just remember me for years, just constantly skipping over this album. I actually remember just taking the album and recording onto a cassette and just removing all the instrumentals <laughs> off of it. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll, we'll make this brief then. obvious as the other cues when he did, when you can really hear from me to you real clearly in the first music cue. I want to mention that on the album itself, it doesn't even mention the name of the music cues on the album. It just simply says in parenthesis, instrumental, and how long the instrumental is. That's pretty rude. If I was Ken Thorne, I would have made some noise about that. Instrumental, two minutes and three seconds. Instrumental, two minutes and 21 seconds. Now, of course, they mentioned his name on the back musical score by Ken Thorne. But, boy, I thought that was terribly rude. I have no problem with The Bitter End. And it's also was a very good club. I don't know if it's still there in, uh, in the West Village in New York City. Bitter End, no relationship, of course. But yes, it works perfectly for the film. Ken did a great job. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he should get more credit for the sound scoring that he did on this film. You're going to lose that girl. Uh, It's a Lennon song. He wrote it, and uh, Weybridge, uh, his house, has a great uh, Latin American percussion. Uh, If everyone remembers, this is the the, uh, chainsaw uh, that created a, a, a perfect circle around uh, Ringo's drum kit. Uh, <laughs> another great video. <laughs> it was just Here awesome, awesome to see them kind of in that that recording hole that they were at. Uh, the Ramones did a parody of it, and uh, it says you're going to kill that girl. This is another song that I feel that could have actually been a single. Also, I think along with the the video of you know the the um the visuals of the movie i think it would stick in people's head and they would like it it's a great song you're gonna lose that girl yes yes I you're have... gonna lose that girl you're gonna lose that girl yeah how sad well the cinematography in this particular scene is absolutely gorgeous. The lighting, the coloring, the spotlights, brilliant. 
there's silhouettes, Paul and Georgia singing on both sides of one microphone, singing the harmonies. Oh, my God. It's just delicious. Now, that guitar solo, when I first heard it, and to this very day, it is just amazing. And it's George. No, it's not Paul this time, folks. <laughs> it's George. It's absolutely perfect. The tone, the choice of notes. This is the thing about the Beatles. When there was a guitar solo, whether it was Paul or George, it just wasn't just someone riffing. You know, like nowadays, you know, showing off that you could play a bunch of fast notes together. Big deal. Whoop-dee-doo. This is almost like orchestrated parts where the leads are perfectly suited for the song. Oh, my God. It's just so damn good. And the lyrics are really quite, I call, competitive. They're threatening. It's like, hey, listen, you know, if you don't do this, if you don't take her out tonight, you know, watch out. You know, you're going to lose that girl, and I'm going to get her. Which, of course, is something that John would write. Perfect John lyrics. The bongos, over the bongos that Ringo does, they're really quite prominent in the mix which is really quite different as well. You know, he played bongos on And I Love Her, but, of course, it was much softer and it's a ballad. But in this song, boy, he's really cooking on those bongos. He did a great job. So it's one of my favorite songs ever by the Beatles, and certainly in this movie. And, yes, this could have gone out as the B-side to Hide Your Love Away. How about that? Or it could have been a double A-side. That would, that would, I love away, and then you're going to lose that girl from the movie Help. If they had released that in September, oh my God, they would have shot right up. Really surprised that they didn't do that. Good point, Tom. Very mm-hmm. good point. That would have been a perfect A and B combo. Or a double A. Yeah. 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 Um, the next song is the final. It's called The Chase. And um, what do you have to say about that? Well, this is all Indian instruments, you know, played by Indian musicians. And because it's called The Chase, you know, it, it picks up. The speed accelerates uh, toward the, uh, the end of the piece. Uh, it's my least favorite Ken Thorne instrumental on the record. But it's there. And to close out the album, not a good idea. I think that was a mistake in terms of sequencing. You want to close the album with that. I would have thrown that in somewhere, probably somewhere on side two. But it was maybe they're doing it because it's toward the end of the film. But it's, yeah, you know, it's, there's not much for me to say about that. So that's the last track on the great album, Help. I just wanted to mention on this album that... The movie was released in the United States on August 11th, uh, and yet 
This is curious, Tom. Capital didn't release it until August 13th. Now, you would think that you would want this record released and in the shops before the movie came out. I don't know why it was delayed. I mean, if I was working with Capital, I'd get it out at least a week before. But anyhow, maybe Mr. Dexter could answer that question as to why it wasn't released before the film hit the screens here in the States. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, but I, I do, uh, you know, it's hard to rank these and it's kind of unnecessary. It's uh, because you love basically every album that, that the Beatles have. But if we're going to play this game, you're going to have to play it. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you up front, ladies and gentlemen, Yellow Submarine is my least favorite album. So just get ready. Uh oh. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> that was a no-brainer. But it's great. So we have, um, we're have we in 1965. Uh, we hit another high mark, another uh, amazing triumph that the Beatles had, a brand new album, a brand new uh, movie, and you, the winter comes and, and Rubber Soul is right on its way. Oh, boy. It's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. That's going to be another fun one. And I'm sure you're thrilled that there's no soundtrack music on rubber so that's <laughs> yeah i mean i'm just i'm digging in that's all i remember just being disappointed as a kid that's all i know i'm <laughs> just playing with you uh -huh. my brother you know that I'm uh, just with you. i am very disappointed on yellow submarine and the other soundtracks i did exactly what i did before and i just take the songs put them on a cassette and play <laughs> okay. the song so i didn't have to skip through them <laughs> but great all right so we will see our Listeners, the next time uh, where we review Rubber Soul. Thank you, Brooke Hoppen, for for visiting again today and talking about the Beatles. Oh, my pleasure, Tom. It was a lot of fun. You take care. We'll speak soon. We will. Thank you. The next episode, The Beatles, Rubber Soul. Now, and enjoy an original Brooke Hoppen composition, The Path. So
episode.